Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here. Uh, my name is Garrett. I'm the youth pastor here, uh, in case you didn't know. And I've got some pre-service education for you, also known as the announcements. So we have connect cards if it's your first time here or if you want to get more information on some of the ministries we have going on or if you just have a prayer request or whatever. There is a QR code on the back of the bulletin. You can scan that with your phone and it will take you to a connect card. Make sure it's the QR code on the back and not the one on the inside or you'll accidentally sign up for the men's retreat. This morning we have a real treat. We've got uh, one of our missionaries, Lindell, uh, an NAB missionary from Brazil who've, uh, who's been there for, for 19 years. And she tells me that Northgate has been supporting her since the beginning, which is pretty incredible. So uh, we'll just give her a moment to, uh, to share what's been going on and how her mission is. Good morning. It's great to be back here at Northgate. I was actually here last week uh, with the Awana crew, and we had a a great time, and it was real fun to share with them a little bit about um, what's been happening in Brazil and some fun facts about Brazil, and man, they're smart. They know what the largest rodent in Brazil is, and and in the world, actually. So if you want to know what it is, you'll have to ask one of them. Um, I'd like to show you some pictures, just about a little bit about what's been going on in Brazil. So this next slide shows you something that was really special that happened in 2019. Our seminary, the seminary that I've been working with since I went down there, um, we're located in the southernmost state of Brazil, in the capital city of that state. We celebrated our 40th anniversary, and we were very privileged to have one of the founders of the seminary, be our speaker, Pastor Neander, and so you can see him and myself speaking in that picture. And our mission, we've been working with the seminary since the very beginning. We've had missionaries there. So we wanted to gift the seminary something very, very special. And so we actually renovated a classroom, like with all the latest technology and air conditioning, something very important in Brazil um, and very exciting. The challenge that we found is when we went to go start classes in 2020, we got shut down. So we have this beautiful classroom we've actually never used. (laughs) But there it is, and it's ready, and we're very hopeful that in March of this year we'll be back to having classes when we start up the new year. But one of the, the things that really stood out to me during this pandemic, you know, when it seemed like the world was shutting down and, you know, I was stuck in my house in front of a computer screen... I was able to see that in these moments where we struggle, God just shows himself. And our seminary enrollment, instead of going down during the pandemic, tripled, tripled in size. Praise the Lord. Isn't that cool? And we actually have students, because we're online, and we have actually been doing our classes online for a number of years. So we had students in the classroom, students online, but we now have students from other states who are studying at our little seminary. So that's been really exciting. And just last year in February, we just celebrated our first anniversary. We launched the Kairos Project in Brazil through a partnership with Sioux Falls Seminary in South Dakota and Taylor Seminary here in Edmonton and some other seminaries. And what Kairos has done is it has allowed us to offer master's degrees 
and doctor, a doctorate of ministry degree to our local pastors in Brazil. And we've been able to do that as well through a scholarship program. And so we're very grateful to the people in North America who have given to this scholarship program. And we launched our Kairos project with 14 students, which for us is amazing because we're in a, in a part of Brazil that's very unreached. So we have 10 students studying in master's degrees and four students doing their doctorate of ministry. I'm hopeful by the time I retire that some of these, you know, guys are going to take over and we'll have some Brazilian people, you know, leading as well our Kairos program. So that'll be really exciting. The next photo shows uh, graduation, which we just had in December, and it was really exciting to walk through the, this journey with these three men. And so here you see, um, right to my side, Andrea, and his pastor recently retired, and he was asked to become pastor of his church. So he's now pastoring full-time. And the one in the middle, he's a special story. Renato is his name. He got married to one of our church planters. Gloria is her name. And he just retired a couple of years ago, and he's a big fisherman. He loves to fish. And he decided in his retirement, instead of just to go fishing fish every day, maybe he should do seminary and fish some people with his wife. And so it was exciting to see him walk through that journey. And so they are now church planting, and it's very, very neat to see them working together. And the other student is Marcus, and Marcus is one of our Kairos students doing his master's, and he is the associate pastor of his church. So just a real good group of men, and we're hopeful that more and more students will graduate from our pastoral formation course. The next picture is kind of exciting for me. So our church, like your church, was closed for many months during the pandemic, and during that time, two families came to Christ which for us, we only have 30 people in our church. So my husband's the pastor there. So we were really blessed to have these families come to Christ. And when we reopened again in 2020, after months and months and months of being closed, our first service was a baptismal service. A little kiddie pool in the sanctuary because we don't have a baptistry. And it was really special because here was this family. They didn't even know our church personally, but here they were going through the waters of baptism. And then right after them, this couple that you see in the photo with their children, they came to Christ as well, and they, wanted, they weren't married. They were just living together, so they wanted to make things right. So just this past December, our church threw them a wedding. Woo! Aren't weddings fun? And they, I mean, they're from a poor family, and they don't have a lot of resources, so the, the groom borrowed a suit, and the bride wore my wedding dress. Isn't that a special? That was really cool for me, so... I'm um, really thankful for what God has been doing in this. Once again, you know, God's hands cannot be bound. God was not shut down. His kingdom advances. And so just exciting news. The next slide is a picture of a, a gal from our church. Carol is her name. And she is 15 years old. I'm sure that's pretty obvious, right? 15 is a big deal in Brazil. It's when she becomes a woman. And um, she, through again, through very generous donations for my husband's ministry, she has been going to camp regularly for the last few years, and we've seen God just really get a hold of her life and, and stretch her and grow her. And last year, she won Camper of the Year. That's so amazing. Here's this girl from an extremely poor family 
And she's been able to go, and, and she just puts her all into this camp. And when she told us the news, she said to me, Oh, Lindell, I worked really hard for that one. And so we're just excited. And after she was at camp in October, she came back and started discipling the daughter of the family who the parents got married, who's 10. So really, really neat to see how God is working in those ways and, and just growing this. And Carol's so excited to turn 16 because she can become a volunteer counselor at camp and spend the whole summer at camp. She just was at camp last week because, of course, in Brazil, it's summer right now. And uh, so the next slide is just a picture of my husband and I. You're probably wondering, where is he? He is almost on his way to Canada. He leaves tomorrow to come to Canada. He's been down there because of camp ministry, taking kids back and forth. And so I'd really appreciate if you could pray for a safe and uneventful trip for him. As we know, it's kind of challenging to fly internationally at this time. Um, And please continue to pray for us as we have our pastoral formation course in Kairos, that we would just be wise in, in just, you know, expanding these programs. Pray for our church that we continue to be a light for the gospel and pray for continued health and safety for my husband and I. And we just want to, my husband too, we want to thank you so much for how this church has been such a huge support for our ministry and how you've prayed for us so faithfully in all these years. So thank you so much. And it's just been great to be here. I'll be here after the service if anyone wants to um, talk to me and find out what the largest rodent in the world is. So thanks so much. Lindell, you can just hang out a second. Um, congregation, if you would join me in, uh, in, in praying for Lindell and thanking God for, um, for the great things he's doing through your mission. God, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for uh, inspiring Lindell on this, on this journey, um, for her faithfulness. And God, we, um, oh, we thank you for the, all the amazing things we're hearing you do, God. Uh, despite this weird time in history that we're experiencing right now, God, you are, you are growing your ministry. You are uh, drawing your people to you. You are making disciples. You are um, giving, uh, giving the seminary down there awesome opportunities to continue training and, and equipping your people. God, it's so encouraging to hear. So, God, we come before you this morning and thank you um, for the awesome work we can hear you're doing um, through the people we support. And we thank you for these things in your name. Amen. Northgate, you know the drill. Let's give her a round of applause for the work she's done. Awesome. Wow, a great way to start announcements. I have my mask on, but I have a smile on. I'm just going to leave it on for a second here. We have a video for Grief Share, if that could be thrown up real quick here. Grief Share is a support group ministry that helps people heal from the pain of grief. The Grief Share video seminars, workbook exercises, and small group discussions give participants encouragement, useful advice, and hope. The Grief Share videos are, are excellent. The video strengthened me. It's a freeing kind of thing to be able to talk about your loss. My workbook helped me to unravel the feelings I was going through. If you know people in your church or community who are grieving the death of a loved one, tell them about Grief Share or visit a Grief Share group yourself to heal from the pain of your grief. There was such a void 
until I got into Grief Share. I never really healed down deep until I came to Grief Share. Grief Share brought me out of my sadness. Begin your journey from mourning to joy at Grief Share. Yes, there's a 13-week uh, session starting for Grief Share on, uh, what was that, Thursday, February 10th, whatever day of the week that is. Um, we have an opportunity uh, to partner with the seller. We're starting a Youth Alpha with them, and um, if any of you are interested, um, we're going to be meeting at their, uh, their facility just down the street. I know we haven't had an Alpha here in a little while, but uh, if you are ever wanted to be a part of an Alpha or lead a table in an Alpha, this will be a great opportunity to, um, to work with youth, to engage with the youth of the community, and I'd be able to see some cool things happen there. So that starts February 28th, and the training, if you want to volunteer, starts on February 14th. You can contact me or the office uh, for any more information on that. Uh, supper is provided as well. There's some, I'll throw that out there for some incentive. Freedom in Christ, an information session is taking place tonight at 6.30. Uh, be there to, uh, to learn about the ministry we have here, um, the Freedom in Christ ministry. Also, uh, the girls will be performing a violin duet, so it's a little more than an information session. There's some incentive there. Again, that's 6.30 this evening. Seven. It's at seven. Okay, I'm not sure what the bulletin says, but it's at seven. Don't believe anything else. Another exciting announcement, tax season is upon us. And uh, something a little more exciting, a little icing on the cake, donation receipts are available. They'll be available next Sunday for pickup. Um, there's information in the bulletin regarding times for that. Allow me to pray as we continue this time where we're gathering this morning. God, we, um, oh, we thank you for all the, the awesome news of everything going on. Um, God, to be encouraged by uh, what's happening in Brazil at the seminary there. And God, um, through all the opportunities that are taking place here in our neighborhood. God, I pray uh, as we continue to meet together this morning, God, as we hear from your word, that um, you would transform our hearts and our minds. You would inspire us uh, to use our gifts to be a part of your kingdom growing. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. The uh, children are dismissed to Kids Church in the Fellowship Hall. And uh, that's all I got to say about that. Good morning. Let me just offer you a warm welcome this morning, uh, both for those of you who are here in person, those who are joining us online. Uh, we are glad you can be with us this morning as we open up God's Word. Uh, and to do that, join me. Uh, I would encourage you in joining me, open up your Bibles to 1 John, book of 1 John once again. Uh, as we go through a series looking at this letter John wrote, uh, we're continuing on in the second chapter this morning. And this morning, John very much continues on the theme that we talked about last time. Because uh, last time, John was talking about, he gave us that warning about not loving the world. 
uh, the world as we defined it, being that kingdom that exists in direct defiance to the kingdom of God, you know, full of temptation, full of pride under the authority of the evil one. And it's that world and that worldliness uh, that now presents us with a new danger that John is warning us about in our passage uh, and warning the church about, and that is the rise of Antichrist. Uh, so if you want to join me, First uh, John chapter 2, uh, beginning verse 18, we're going to go all the way to verse 27 this morning, and I'll read it. There John says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you, will, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you again, um, pray that, Lord, you would be our teacher, that, Lord, you would send your anointing, your Holy Spirit, um, just to be here among your people, to guide us and lead us into truth, to remind us of those, uh, those, those fundamental elements of the gospel that make it such a wondrous good news uh, for us sinners who are saved by grace. Um, yeah, Lord, just empower us, prepare us. Uh, Lord, may this May this truth find good soil in our lives, uh, produce a good fruit um, as we just live this truth out. And may it, Lord, just prepare us uh, better for living in this time in which we find ourselves, uh, living out the, just the full, spirit-filled Christian life. Um, so yeah, Lord, we welcome you to be among us uh, as we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question this morning. What... What images come to mind? What do you think about when, you, when I say, think about the end of the world as we know it? Uh, what are sort of the images that come to mind when I say, what, you know, think about Earth's final hour? Uh, Hollywood has actually done a pretty good job of exploiting this very idea, you know, that the, the, the apocalyptic movie. Uh, usually there's a comet hurtling towards Earth. It's going to wipe out all life, and, you know, we have to do something about that. Or often it's global warming or some other sort of environmental crisis. It's destroyed the planet and we're all sort of living in caves underground or something. Uh, another favorite is the virus, the, the virus that gets released. And it's usually followed by death or zombies or something. And, you know, there's, there's this race for a cure. Uh, when I was a kid, it was nuclear annihilation. That was the big draw, you know. And I don't know why, but some, for some reason, after nuclear bomb, 
The only people left in cities were like kids who dressed like punk rockers who like roam the streets in leather jackets. I don't know. Or the monkeys who ride the horses. That's a good one too. Um, the end of the world. Yeah. The, 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 lots of people have lots of thoughts. But what if I told you that you actually know exactly what the last hour is going to look like? Because you're living in it right now. That's what John tells us as we look at our passage. First John chapter 2, he says in verse 18, children... It is the last hour. This is it. John says it. This, you are living in the last hour right now. And yet John wrote that, as we know, some 2,000 years ago. So we could, is, was John wrong? I mean, more than an hour has passed since then, if it was the last one. I mean, did he miscalculate the end of the world by a few thousand years? Well, the obvious answer is no. Because John wasn't actually, he wasn't trying to set a date or timetable for the end to come. One commentary said, John was describing a kind of time, not a duration of time. Or in other words, um, John is describing this hour theologically, not chronologically. Uh, because when we talk about, you can call them the end times or the final days or the last hour, uh, whatever term the Bible uses, it all describes that sort of period of time between the birth of Jesus, which has already happened, and the return of Jesus, which we're still waiting for. And, you know, as that when Jesus returns, that time when God's plan of salvation and redemption will finally be complete. It's kind of like, the, the image I have is, it's like being at a play. You know, when you get to that final act in the play, you don't know how much time that final act is going to take, but you know when that act is over, the play is done. Um, and one of the characters that appears in this final act, this last hour of the church and, and the world as we know it, one of the characters to appear is known as Antichrist. Uh, and listen to verse 18 again. As John says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. And one thing that John makes clear is that the last hour is going to be marked by the rise of Antichrist. Now, in fact, they're almost proof of each other. Uh, you know it's the last hour because there's Antichrist, and you know it's their Antichrist because it's the last hour. It's, and for many of us growing up, especially back in the 80s, the late great planet Earth and Helens, all that, Antichrist was kind of a name that was used to sort of strike dread into the hearts of believers. And even though the specific word Antichrist only appears in the letters of John, uh, the Antichrist can be found in many other places. Paul calls him a man of lawlessness. lawlessness. In 1 Thessalonians 2, a book of Revelation often refers to him as the beast. Um, but if we were to think of the Antichrist as only being sort of one man in one place at one time, we're actually going to miss the point of what John is trying to teach us here. Because yes, that one day the Antichrist, sort of singular, definite article, the Antichrist will arise. But before that, there will be many, many men and women who come in the same spirit and with the same goals, who work towards the same purposes as that Antichrist. And they too are in the spirit of Antichrist. So anyone who actively opposes God's plan or tries to thwart sort of God's purposes could be seen as an Antichrist. Those are the Antichrists, plural, and they're among us even now. And one interesting note is that the term anti doesn't just mean opposed to. Uh, it can also mean instead of or in the place of. So antichrists don't just seek to work against Jesus. They also seek to supplant him, which is a, a kind of an interesting idea. 
And John had firsthand sort of knowledge about how these antichrists were working because they showed up in one of his own churches. And in fact, you can almost, almost hear John's heartache as he writes these words as with a pastor's heart. And he just, he recalls the damage that these people, these antichrists were doing and, you know, are still trying to do in the churches that he was overseeing. And John goes on actually to give us a good idea of what the antichrists were up to. Uh, and in doing so, he gives us a pretty good indication of what to look for um, in order to see them at work. So we're going to learn a little bit about Antichrist this morning. And the first thing we learn is that when it comes to Antichrist, appearances can be deceiving. Uh, John says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not, they, were, they all are not of us. You see, these false teachers, these antichrists that John was struggling with, they actually had their start in the church. Um, they weren't true believers, and John makes that very clear. He says, none of them, none of them belonged to us. They, these were not true Christians. But they were people who hung out in the church. You know, they picked up the language, they picked up the lingo, they picked up the culture, and they used all those things in order to later twist them and, and engage in the church in order to twist all that to their own purposes. And yet, when, when I say the word antichrist, and people are like, what do you think of when I say the word antichrist? Most people, they picture like a guy in a red devil suit, and he's got the, the pitchfork, and he's got the, you know, the horns, and he's got 666 tattooed on his head. But that's not what they look like. You see, when we're talking about antichrists, John says they look like us. Most antichrists could blend into a church, and no one would notice, at least until they opened their mouths and began to speak. And Jesus even gives us a warning in Matthew 7, verse 15. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but outwardly they are ravenous wolves. Most antichrists that you're going to find, you're going to find them in the place that, where they can do the most damage directly. They're hiding in plain sight in the churches. Uh, they can blend right in. Appearances can be so deceiving. Then a second thing we learn about antichrist is that there are people who like to think that they're special. At least they claim to be. Uh, verse 20, John says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. And John was likely writing those words to the believers in the churches in order to counter some of the claims that these false teachers and these antichrists were making. Because we know at that time, they, people were making claims that they had sort of a special anointing that other people in the church didn't have, that, that as teachers, they had been given some new truth about God that, that no one else had heard yet, and you had to come to them to get it. They claimed some new knowledge, that they had tapped into some new pipeline to God's truth that made their teaching special. And not just special, but, but more true than the truth you've already heard. And you'll often see people like these give themselves sort of lofty titles like, you know, apostle or prophet or bishop or something like that. They're trying to claim some special authority. But John counters that with this simple truth, saying that as believers in Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit, and there's no more anointing specialer than that. And you've been given the gospel, the full truth of Christ, and there's no more knowledge that you need to be saved. You have all knowledge, and you've been anointed by the Holy One. Unlike those who claim to, you know, have something special. 
And of course, it's in this area of truth and this sort of special anointing that they claim that the Antichrist do their worst work. Look at verse 21, beginning in 21. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And here the Antichrist reveal their most well-used tool, which is, which is heresy. The, the twisting of the truth, especially when it comes to Jesus Christ. And in this case, it was they, they were denying that Jesus was the Christ, and they were denying Jesus as being the Son of God. Now keep in mind when I say that, that these antichrists still said a lot of really nice things about Jesus. Uh, you know, it's not the case that when these antichrists opened their mouth that every single thing they said was counter to the word of God. That's not how antichrists work. The deception is very subtle. And it's usually only one or two little things along the way. And sometimes it's not even what they say, but what they don't say. Uh, it's the truth they don't speak that, that reveals so much about them. But these antichrists, they just wanted people to doubt sort of a few subtle essential truths when it came to the gospel. You see, Satan doesn't waste time deceiving people about you know, how tall Jesus was or what color hair he had. The truth that Satan attacks is always the essential truth about Jesus Christ when it comes to the gospel. And he doesn't need you to deny the whole gospel. He only needs to deceive you about a small part of it. You know, the devil will be let you believe something's 99% true as long as it's the 1% of the truth that you deny that will still send you to hell. Because Satan will let you believe lots of stuff. He'll let you believe that Christ died on the cross. As long as you don't believe he died for you. He'll let you believe that Jesus lived as long as you don't believe he still lives today. He'll, he'll let you believe that Jesus Christ was a great example as long as you don't believe that he was the Son of God. You know, it's, it's those little things, those little deceptions, those little twistings of truth. That's what the Antichrists were doing. They were denying some fundamental truth about Jesus to make the gospel incomplete. And in John's case, it was that Jesus was the Christ and that he was the Son of God. That's heresy. And that's, that's the Antichrist's favorite tool for the job that they're doing. And I'm also going to add here that Antichrist can also be seen not just in their heresy, but also in their hypocrisy. And John doesn't actually mention too much specifically about that here in this passage, but in the context of the entire letter of 1 John, we see this playing out. You know, we see that these antichrists, these false teachers, that they weren't living out the truth, especially in the area of loving one another, which is why John puts so much emphasis on that for us as believers and the importance of community and all that stuff, because the antichrists weren't doing that. And it was obvious. You know, antichrists, they, they talk a talk, but their lives don't walk the walk. And Again, through the stuff we see in this letter, the, the Antichrist, they were comfortable with sin. They were comfortable with being selfish. You know, they were comfortable creating division. They were comfortable with pride and, and you know, self-promotion. So an examination of their lifestyle often revealed that these were not true believers. They were only imitators. And, you know, Jesus himself adds in Matthew 7, the verse right after he talks about wolves in sheep clothing, he says in Matthew 7, verse 16, he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So these antichrists, they were heretics in their teaching and they were hypocrites in their lifestyle. And that leads us to the final thing that John reveals to us about these antichrists that were in his church. And that's that their purpose was to deceive. 
Um, you know, skip down to verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Um, you know, these antichrists were not just sort of innocent victims mistakenly teaching people some wrong things. These were people who were intentionally seeking to pull people away from the truth, intentionally causing division in the church for their own gain. They were are willfully being destructive and working against God's plans and God's purposes. They're trying to, you know, steal as many souls out of heaven as they can to keep people out of heaven so that they can follow them. And that's what makes them so dangerous to the church. And that's why the Bible gives us so many warnings about false teachers. Uh, you know, Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Acts 20 says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. 2 Peter chapter 2 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into dispute. And Romans 16, verse 17 and 18 says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And that's exactly what John was seeing happening in his churches. The Antichrist, the false teachers were alive and they were active. And that actually brings me to a few applications that I want to just quickly give you about this teaching. Um, and there are actually three of them, just real quick. Uh, three things that the reality of Antichrist in the church should remind us of. And the first is that we need to be teaching about the end times uh, from the Bible. I love it. John says in verse 18 of our passage, he says, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. I love that because these people, he's saying, these people had already been taught about the Antichrist. They'd already heard he was coming. And they knew about the end times. This was not a surprise to them, but something they'd already been warned about uh, through the teaching in their church. And the same should be true in our churches today. There needs to be regular teaching about the last things. And not teaching to scare people, not teaching to sensationalize it, not teaching to sell books, but teaching it because to understand the end times as the Bible describes them is to help us better understand the times that we live in. Just one example, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, says, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. And you know, if that verse doesn't help you better understand the world we live in today, you know, as that basically describes perfectly the echo chambers that people are living in today, I don't know what will. You know, that verse basically describes half the stuff I see on Facebook. Uh, you know, it describes, you know, what's happening on cable news. It happens, you know, it describes what televangelists are doing. You know, we need that teaching. And knowing the way the world is going will help us better be prepared in, to live in it as believers. We need to be informed about the times we live in. And that starts with help, 
That starts with understanding what the Bible tells us about these last days. So that's the first application. The second application I would give you is that you need to know it's only going to get worse. Um, You know, you may look at the world right now and think like many of us, just like, come quickly, Lord. Uh, This place is out of control. It's crazy down here, Uh, you know, but we're told things are only going to get worse and worse until Jesus comes back, until his return. And as believers, we need to be prepared for that. Uh, you know, I find it interesting, John writes this, this, this letter only about 60 years after the church began. And he already says, you know what, many antichrists have already come. Satan wasted no time getting started, and more and more, his influence is continuing to gain ground in the world. It's only going to get worse. And don't be surprised when the world hates you because you believe. Don't be surprised when the government decides to outlaw passages of the Bible and label them as hate. Don't be surprised when public opinion makes Christianity a dirty word. Don't be surprised when the world goes around and begins to call good evil and evil good. Buckle up, it's going to be a bumpy ride. But it all has to play out before the end. But that leads us to the third application that we should take hold of. And that is, it's the comfort that comes when we realize that none of what's happening in the world around us comes as a surprise to God. You know, when you look at what the Bible says about the end times, you see it all around us. And some of it's not pretty. I mean, there will be mockers who come. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be, you know, division, conflict, racial strife, persecution, even great tribulation. But we know that because God knew that it would happen and he told us so. And it's all unfolding under his authority and under his sovereignty, just as Jesus said that it would. And I think that if I was sort of not a believer, I would really be worried about the direction the world is headed in. But as a believer, I know that God has a plan and a purpose for all things. And when the world is crazy, it's good to know just the peace of having a God who we know is sovereign. And that all brings us, those are the applications, that brings us actually now to our final lesson that we learned from John. Now this one kind of stands alone. And this is maybe the main point of the sermon this morning. Because John has warned us of the dangers of living this last hour and about Antichrist, and he's given us some solid teaching to know our times better. But as believers, the question remains, well, now what's our response? I mean, how, how are we now called to live knowing that we are living in this last hour? And John actually answers that question. In fact, he answers that question with a single word. He says, abide. To live in the last hour, we are called to abide. Which is a word, the word abide means to live live or to dwell with. To make something part of our lives and part of our daily existence. And there are three things that John tells us in this passage that we are to be abiding in. The first is the word of God. Verse 24, he says, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. And what this church heard from the beginning was the truth of Jesus Christ. And in a world that is going crazy, the truth of God serves as a firm foundation for our lives. And to abide in the truth is to live out that truth in our lives. As Christians, as people who represent the truth of God, we have the responsibility not only to know the truth, but to actively live out the truth of, and that, uh, that truth in our lives every day. That is so important for the times such as these. 
especially, you know, the, when the world is watching. Um, the, the Christian music group DC Talk, long time ago, but said on one of their albums, they said, the greatest source of atheism today is Christians who confess Christ with their lips but deny him with their lifestyle. The only truth that is effective is a living truth, a truth that we live in and a truth that lives in us. We abide in the truth because it is a truth that also leads us into a relationship. And the second thing that we abide in, verse 24, says, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And to me, what this verse is saying is that when the world seems out of control and you don't know what to do, just keep living with Jesus and living for Jesus. Just keep doing what you've been doing as a Christian and pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's always the right thing to do, no matter what the times are. And it's Christ and abiding in Him where we get the strength to live anyways, no matter what the world going on in the world. You know, Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. We need to abide in Christ. And to keep living for Christ is so important for living in these last days, pursuing Christ with all that we are. And then finally, we do all of those things through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is someone else that we are to abide in. Verse 27 says, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it, taught, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Oh, I think I butchered that. But anyways, there's a verse. It's up there. You can read it. Um, the anointing that John is speaking about here, it, it quite clearly it is the Holy Spirit himself. Uh, you know, before Jesus was taken up to heaven, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. Uh, he would send it to his followers when he was gone to empower us, to guide us, to convict us, to comfort us, to encourage us, to transform us, and to, to keep us from deception and to reveal to us the truth. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, listen again, John 14, verse 16. Jesus says, I will pray, uh, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And John 16, verse 13 says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for, you will not speak, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. The Holy Spirit is essential to us knowing the truth and living out the truth as believers. And that's what we need as believers. We need to be Holy Spirit-filled believers. And you know, we probably don't talk about that enough. I mean, we're Baptists. That sounds like one of those Pentecostal things. It's not. I love A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer says, be convinced the Spirit-filled life is for you. 
The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's not an added extra. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for all of His people. And as John tells us, as we get filled with the Spirit, that, that anointing, that abiding, it leads us away from lies and into truth. So much so that John says in verse 27, uh, you have no need that anyone should teach you, which would put me out of a job. So let me talk about that for a minute. Uh, John's not implying here that we shouldn't appreciate good Bible teachers. Uh, in fact, God gives teachers to the church. It's part of his, the gifts that he gives to the church uh, to prepare them. But what John is saying here is that if you as a believer, if you have the word of God, and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, then you have at your fingertips all the truth that you will ever need. And a good teacher can come along and help you understand that truth better. But they will never, ever diverge from the truth of the Word of God that the Spirit testifies about. And in a word that, world that is deceived and where antichrists peddle lies and lead people astray, we need to hold on to the truth of Christ all the more. And you know, that's what's actually going to lead us to the communion table again this morning. And I just want us to be mindful of these very simple elements that we've been given, the bread and the cup, because they speak to us and they ground us in just the unchanging truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. The bread reminds us that Jesus took on flesh and that they nailed his body to the cross and the cup is the blood that he shed the blood that washes away the stain of our sin, the death of our Savior, the Son of God, who paid the price on our behalf. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance. He, he said, remember this. Hold on to this truth. Don't let go of the truth that this table represents. Because it's in this truth that's the cornerstone of what we believe in the foundation of our salvation. And even as John warns us about our enemies... And as the world turns more and more hostile to the faith and we live in these last hours, even as false teachers increase and antichrists rise to lead people astray, as believers, we abide. We abide in the truth, we abide in Christ, and we live through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to be doing as we live in this last hour. Let's pray. Father God, we, we live in this world. And Lord, it is a world that is, it's full of wonders. It's full of beauty. It's full of goodness. It's the earth declares your glory. And yet, Lord, this world is also so full of danger. Um, Lord, the world is a place that is lost in sin. A place that is, is, is in bondage. A place that doesn't have freedom, but is ruled by the evil one. And the antichrists are real, and they're among us, and they're among the church, and they're deceiving and leading people astray. And as a church, you warned us about these things. But we should not be afraid. We should be wary, but we should not be worried. Because, Lord, you have given us all that we need to face the challenges of this world and to live out that, the truth of living for the kingdom of God. And I pray that we would hold that truth, that we would hold and abide in the Holy Spirit, and that we would abide in Christ and continue our... Just, knowing him more. And that that truth and that just that our fellowship with you would be the thing that we seek and that we would keep 
living our lives for you, whatever comes, whatever this world delivers, whatever this last hour comes, that, Lord, we would just continue to abide because you are the Son of God who took on flesh to die on the cross for our sins, raised on the third day to new life, who ascended into heaven, who's promised that you will come again to set all things right. Because, Lord, this may be the last hour, but, Lord, we know that you will have the last word. And in all things, we will trust in you. Amen. Well, we're going to do communion this morning. Uh, I think, can I ask the worship team, would you just sort of quietly play, and we'll just have a few minutes just to kind of reflect uh, as, before we come to the table. So let's just take a few minutes just to examine our hearts. Well, we once again want to invite you to join us as we come to the communion table this morning. Uh, those who have been asked to help me, if you want to come up here at this time, uh, we'll welcome you. Um, again, this, play, this table is a place of remembrance. Um, the bread reminds us of the body of Jesus that was broken for us upon the cross. Uh, the cup represents his blood shed on our behalf. And it was Jesus, again, his own command that we would do these things in remembrance of him. And you don't have to be a member of our church to take this meal with us. All you need is, is faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, belief that he died for your sins, um, that he is your Lord and Savior, and you're welcome to join us uh, at the table this day, today. And for those who are just joining us for 
maybe the first time if you're here in person. We use these special cups this morning. Under the first tab, the clear tab, is uh, there's a little wafer that you can use for the bread. And the second tab, uh, you can open that, and there's the juice in there uh, for when we take the cup. Um, and now just let me help us focus our hearts. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And ask Arnold and Fred to come up. You want to grab the mic there, Arnold? All right, Arnold, would you return thanks for the broken body of our Lord? Father in heaven, we thank you for the body that's been shed, that's been broken for us. We thank you, Father, that you have loved us even when we were sinners. Since you removed the debt that we have been owed, we have owed to you by Jesus' death on the cross in our place, we are now in a right relationship with you. We also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that we may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're then told in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Fred, would you return thanks for the shed blood of our Lord? Okay. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to partake in this sacrament that you have instituted. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming us and thank you for the grace to abide in you. Thank you, Lord God, for what the blood represents in us. Even in Exodus, you said the blood shall be for a token upon us. And when you see the blood, you will pass over. Father, even as we partake in the body and the blood, every Lord God, 
thing that does not represent you, everything that represents the Antichrist, you will help us, O oh Lord God, to be able to spot them and pass over them. And also in the same vein, O oh God, because of the blood, O oh God, everything, O oh Lord God, that will not glorify you will pass over us. Everything, O oh Lord God, that marks disgrace will pass over us. And because of the blood, O oh God, we will be able to live victoriously for you. Because of the blood, O oh God, we will be able to witness and tell people about your love and goodness. Even, O oh Lord God, as we go through this month, we will be a testimony, we will be, O oh Lord God, a living witness of your grace and mercy. Have your will, Lord God, in our lives. And be thou exalted in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.